You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The state of Bad Rabbit and Reaper, the EU drafts a diplomatic framework for self-defense in cyberspace, Pyongyang denies UK attribution of WannaCry to North Korea, Threat intelligence types suspect the Sino-U.S. cyber modus vivendi might not be the unqualified success it's been taken to be. Oracle issues an emergency patch. Congress will hear testimony about influence operations in Twitter, Google, and Facebook. And USB sticks contain the darndest things. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 31st, 2017. No fresh developments in either the Bad Rabbit ransomware or Reaper botnet stories. To recap, however, emerging consensus is that Bad Rabbit is a product of the same operators who were behind NotPetya this past spring. The Ukrainian government says those operators were in the Russian security services, and while Kiev is certainly disposed to believe the worst of Moscow, most other observers think that attribution isn't unreasonable. Reaper, on the other hand, an IoT botnet comprised largely of security cameras and initially feared to be larger than Mirai in its denial-of-service potential, looks to many like a product of the criminal underground, specifically of the Chinese underworld, and probably intended for rental as a booter service in Chinese domestic black markets. It's also looking much smaller than initially feared, albeit with some potential for rapid expansion. Attribution is, of course, particularly important if you carry a gun or a badge in matters of criminal investigation or warfare. The European Union has prepared a draft diplomatic document, Framework on a Joint EU Diplomatic Response to Malicious Cyber Activities, that would recognize cyber attacks under some conditions as acts of war. This is less path-breaking than some reports would have it. The framework aligns basically with existing NATO recognition of cyberspace as a domain conflict within which states can legitimately exercise their right to self-defense. Observers have pointed out, of course, that attribution remains difficult and problematic. While attribution may be hard, the UK's attribution to North Korea of the WannaCry infestation that troubled its National Health Service earlier this year is offered with high confidence. It drew a foreseeable response from Pyongyang, denial of involvement and righteous promises of retaliation against the slanderers. This puts the UK in the same boat as much of the rest of the civilized world, so when it comes to DPRK retaliation, take a number, Whitehall. 
China appears to be shifting rather than limiting its cyber espionage directed against American targets. Wired reports signs that the Sino-American agreement to limit mutual hacking is being tested by Beijing's recent operations. FireEye told Wired they'd seen a move toward more industrial espionage in East Asia and more traditional espionage directed against government targets in the U.S. That's not to say that industrial espionage has vanished from the American scene entirely. The sea cleaner backdoor installed in some Avast security products without Avast's knowledge, for example, was used to put implants into machines in some U.S. tech firms' networks. Oracle has an emergency patch out for its identity management product. Users are urged by both Oracle and outside security experts to patch as soon as practical. A security researcher has found a big bug in Google's bug tracker. Mountain View's issue tracker, the Bugganizer, as insiders call it, is the working repository of security and other issues reported to Google. The researcher found it was accessible by coming up with a bogus Google corporate email account and then simply requesting access. Google is policing up the problem. Social media executives from Facebook, Twitter, and Google will testify on Capitol Hill this week, answering questions about how Russian influence operations may have played out in last year's U.S. elections. It appears the Russian efforts were cheap, with their effect magnified by intelligent sharing and liking. Bogus identities established by the now-notorious St. Petersburg Troll Farm Internet Research Agency had particularly broad reach. In Facebook alone, 470 phony accounts purchased about 3,000 ads, but that's the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Images, organic posts, events, and so on extended the troll's audience to 126 million people, viewing about 80,000 bits of content. The content was fundamentally disruptive in character, without any consistently discernible positive agenda, following traditional forms of influence-seeking, gaining trust, exploiting shared interests, surrounding disinformation with an effective bodyguard of fact, and so on. There are some reports out of the UK that such political influence operations in a number of cases have amounted to catfishing, and the Times of London suggests we ought to expect more of that in the future, the fifth column in the fifth domain. So, Robin Sage, call your office. Another story out of London involves that perennial favorite of social engineers and those who lose sleep over what those crazy employees do by accident, the USB drive. A guy found a USB stick on the street and was curious to see what it contained. So, he stuck it into a library computer, and congratulations, sir, for not inserting it into your work computer, but shame on you, sir, for being a bad library patron. What did it contain? Well, its 2.5 gigabyte storage capacity held more than 170 documents relating to security at London's Heathrow Airport, some of which had security markings like confidential or restricted. The content included stuff like lists of people exempt from security screening, hijacking duress codes, the Queen's route to the Royal Suite in a hidden part of the airport, and such sensitive physical details as the locations of escape shafts and maintenance tunnels. It's unclear whether the material belonged to a careless insider or a potential terrorist. Investigation continues. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, which is our threat intelligence team. Rick, welcome back. Good leadership comes from the top, but when it comes to cybersecurity, those people at the top, the board of directors and and, uh, folks up at that higher echelon of a company, it seems like they can be targets. They can have particular risks that are associated with them. How do we deal with that? Well, you know, we and we as network defenders, we kind of ignore those guys at the top, but it's probably a blind spot for us all. And mm. so let me just kind of give the background here. So we all know that stealing legitimate credentials from important people is a tried and true tactic that adversaries use to penetrate networks. You know, if I was an adversary, why would I spend hours developing a zero day exploit or, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just to buy a good one? when you can legitimately log into the victim's network with real credentials, okay? So this is not a new idea. This has been around forever. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that many of us have left unattended in this regard is the protection of our company's directors, these high up people in the that rarefied atmosphere, our board members. Uh, We may have even deployed some mature and capable two-factor authentication schemes and other credential protection technology from great companies like ours, Palo Alto Networks, had to get the plug in, (laughs) okay? But but we do this with an eye to protect our own employees. Now, these board members, um, they they are these rare animals uh, where they have one foot planted in the company business, the company secrets, uh, but they kind of exist outside the normal protection bubble uh, we afford our regular employees, right? Many of them sit on several boards on very different companies and have access to really sensitive information. Now, if I was a cyber adversary, if I would consider the collection of board members to be a target-rich environment, if you know what I mean. So if you can grab their credentials, you might have access to many companies' material information. All right, so here we are. And and yet, as a community, a bunch of network defenders, we kind of allow the board members, in many cases, to exchange highly sensitive company information without encryption and through their private email accounts. Some of these folks are doing it with Gmail and stuff. So here's the analogy that we should uh, paint here. 
This is akin to spending thousands of dollars on high quality locks for your brand new house, but leaving the garage door open all the time to make it easy for your spouse to get into her car. I mean, well, at least in my house, my spouse is the chairman of the board and I do pretty much whatever she says. So I understand <laughs> why we're in this situation. All right. So there are two things you should think about as network defenders. All right. First, uh, consider extending company security protection to your board members. They absolutely should not be using their own personal email accounts to exchange company information. It's, it's pretty obvious when you say it out loud, but that's kind of the situation we're in. And the second thing you should consider is that for all the people in the company, the board will see some of the most highly sensitive information that exists. So consider implementing special handling of that kind of data for all board members uh, that is over and above what your normal procedures are. What about the social factor in this, the human factor of this? When you get to a, a board member, you know, this is usually a, a very important person. This is a, a muckety-muck kind of person, and they may say, yeah, I don't want to do that. How do you deal with that? Uh, that has been the bane of uh, Network Defender community for many years. Okay, the good news is uh, board members are becoming more and more aware of the cybersecurity challenges that we all have. Um, and I think now, even today, they're more amenable to these kinds of solutions. And, and in fact, if you help them do it, I think they would be glad to take it on. All right. Good information as always. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.